Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. If you have your Bibles, go with me over to Luke chapter 24. Uh, we read a little bit earlier, but I want to read it for one, uh, one more moment. Um, but Luke chapter 24, and as you're going there, can I show you a picture of uh, our family? This is our Easter family picture really quick. We have a little East, uh, little uh, photo booth kind of set up outside, and uh, we took our family pic. Do you have that picture up here? I think you do. You should have that picture. Well, there it is right there. This is our family. In case you're new to the church here and I've never met you before, I'd love to meet you maybe after service. But this is my wife, Jennifer. She's right down here. We've been married for, gl- for a glorious 13 years, almost 14 years, right? Yeah, 14 years in May. So you didn't know, but I knew, I remembered. But uh, 14 amazing years, and these are two results of passion right here, as you can see. And uh, the oldest is Liam. He's nine years old, and uh, he's a great athlete. He loves Jesus with all of his heart. And that's Nixon, our six-year-old, and he's wild and crazy, just like me. And then uh, my wife, uh, she's actually, she's she's pregnant, and we will be having our third child, a little girl, Novi Sophia, will be having her. And the next few days... Maybe, maybe even today. I mean, earlier, literally after service, she looked at me. She goes, she's just, she's just like, I can't, I can't do this. I'm going to sit down. I think I'm about to have this baby. I'm like, just wait till after the second service, okay? Just wait. <laughs> so we may be at the hospital after this. You never know. But anyway, that's our family. Uh, before you leave today, don't rush off. We have in the lobby, we have a little uh, kind of an after-party experience uh, for you, for your friends, family, for your kids. And it's going to be really special. We had a great time in between services. And, and uh, take, take a little photo. Uh, we, it's not just like a pull-out your phone and take a photo. We have like legit, legit professional photography happening. Okay. We bumped it up today. If you were going to bump up your clothes, we felt like we need to bump up our camera. So we bumped it up for you. You can take a family picture or a picture with some of your friends for Easter and you can have that sent right to you. And so make sure you do that and enjoy that today. But Luke chapter 24, I'm going to jump right into it. How many of you are excited that, uh, that we serve a risen savior, Jesus Christ? He's not dead, but he is alive. And that's why we've gathered today. We've gathered to celebrate that. And um, I love in Luke chapter 24, as we read on the screens earlier, it says this. It says, very early on Sunday morning. Someone say Sunday. Sunday. Best day of the week. Sunday fun day. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They were going to anoint Jesus' body. It says they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in but they didn't find the body of our Lord Jesus there. As they stood there, they were puzzled. And two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified or they were afraid and they they bowed down on their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, they asked this great question, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Um, This is the Easter message right here, is that Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Son of God, that he is not dead, but he is surely alive. And that he walked out of a tomb and he accomplished some amazing things for you and I. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because here's what I've discovered, is there's really two distinct parts to the gospel. Really two. I mean, it's a very complex thing and we we could spend hours and hours talking about the gospel. But if you were to distill the gospel down or to, to really these, these things here, you would have to understand to a degree Friday, which is what Jesus did on the cross, and Sunday, the resurrection. Good Friday, we'll talk about that for a moment. It, we call it Good Friday, but to be honest, let's just be real here. It's a good day for us, but it wasn't the best day for Jesus. Like this was a day when his, his best friends, his closest friends, they betray him. 
Have you ever had one of your friends betray you before? You felt that pain of betrayal before. Maybe it was a spouse or a friend or a coworker. Somebody stabbed you in the back and betray you, just, just totally stab you in the back, maybe abandon you and walk away. Maybe you had a spouse that maybe, maybe had an affair and, and, and they betrayed you. And what you sense and feel when someone betrays you is as if someone's robbed you and taken something from you. Jesus felt betrayal that day. He was betrayed by his best friends. Many of them, they deserted him, they left him. Then he's arrested um, by the Roman police there. The Roman officers, they arrest him and they begin to mock him and criticize him and ridicule him. They strip him of his clothes. They strip him naked, the Bible gives us this account. So he's completely stripped naked, feeling the shame of that moment. And then they begin to, they begin to hurl insults at him. And uh, you, you said you're the king of the Jews. You said you're the son of God. I mean, prove it. And, and, and they just begin to harass him. He was harassed. He was persecuted. The Bible says he was also beaten. These men, it, it, was, it was maybe 100 plus men got around him and they took their turns giving him shots to the face, pulling out, ripping out his beard. They took a crown of thorns and they beat it into his head. They, they took a cat of nine tails that basically they would hit him and it had fragments of bone and glass and, and fragments in it. And every time it hit his skin, it, it'd be pulled back and it would rip portions of his flesh out. To the point where, where you would literally, according to many accounts, even outside of the Bible, when a flogging like this would happen, you would be, be, able, to see, you'd be able to see the person's rib cage and their organs. It was a brutal day. It was a bad day for him. But it was a good day for us because then he goes to a cross. And he hangs on a cross for six hours, nails in his hands and in his feet. And even on his worst day, he still gave us his best. He looks out at humanity that is cursing him in the face, that has rejected him, that hates him, that is hurling insults at him. He looks out at them and in grace, he says, Father, forgive them because they just don't realize what they're doing. This is the grace of God on display. He hangs there for six days and he dies. And the Bible says because of his death, because his blood was shed, we can now have forgiveness of our sins. Like every single thing that we've ever done, that's what sin is, that when we're missing the mark of the standard of what God wants for our life, when we just don't land to that place where he's called us to, when we live a life below standard and we make mistakes and we fail and we, we, we cheat and we lie and all these things as humans that we just, we find ourselves doing. He went to the cross and his blood was shed so that we could be forgiven of all of those things. And at the cross, he made a statement. He says, it is finished. Notice he didn't say, I am finished. He says, it is finished. The debt is canceled. They are going to be forgiven. This is what Jesus did. And this is why Friday is so good. And I got to tell you, to be candid, like I can relate to Friday because I know that I need the grace of God. I know that I need forgiveness. I know I'm not perfect. You can ask my wife and my kids. I know that I make mistakes. I know that I need someone to extend grace to me, especially God, because I have, I have things that I deal with and things that I struggle with. And I'm so thankful for the cross because I'm, if I'm honest, I'm not a good person that occasionally does bad. I'm a bad person that occasionally does good. Therefore, I need grace. And Friday, the cross, this is easy for us, I think, to wrap our minds around. Son of God died on the cross for our sins. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we are forgiven. It is finished. Debt canceled. We don't owe him anymore. But what's hard oftentimes to wrap our mind around is Sunday. Resurrection. 
Like, why Sunday? I mean, if Friday were forgiven because of what he did on the cross, why did he have to rise from the dead? Like, why, why, why did he have to stay three days in a tomb and then be resurrected in power? Why did that have to happen? Like, and what are the implications for you and I? As if Friday's not good enough, right? As if just having a fresh start, a clean slate, a do-over is not good enough. He goes ahead and he says, I'm going to rise from the dead. But Why? That's the question we're going to unpack for just a moment. Now, by a show of hands in here today, I don't want to embarrass anybody. How many of you in here, you're uh, one of those why type people. You want to know the, the, the why behind the what for everything. You're, you're maybe an analytical person. Okay, great, great, great. Um, I like to ask the question why. I, I love to, to know kind of why we're doing certain things. But I think the person on our team that wants to know it more than anybody else is my man Josh over here, Pastor Josh. He, he, like, I'll tell him, like, hey, man, I really think we ought to have a cup with a little logo on it. He's like, why do we want a cup? With a logo on it. I mean, he, he's analytical. He asks the question, why about everything? He wants to, to break it down and understand it. And that's one of the things that I love about him and the contribution to our team. Uh, I'll tell you that I don't like it when my kids ask me why, and they ask me all the time. Can I get a good amen from all the parents? Kids would just ask you, why? Why are we going there? Why are we doing that? Why are we eating this? I'm like, because I said so. That's why. Because I said so. Uh, here's a couple whys I thought about right here. You ever thought about this? Why do we call the time of day where the traffic is the slowest rush hour? Hmm. Why is the guy who invests all of your money in places to make you money called a broker? If a store is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, why are there locks on those doors? That was not a good one, I know. Shut up. If flying is so safe, I love it. If flying is so safe, why do we call the place that you actually get on the plane a terminal? That's a good one. Why? Why are they called apartments when they are actually stuck together? This is what happens when you're left alone. This is what I do. I think of things like this. Some people say, you know, that Sozo church, those guys, they're really loud in worship. And they have like, I had a guy tell me at the farmer's market yesterday, he was like, man, I really like your church. But at first I went in, it was like, dude, this is a rock show. They got like lights and they're jumping around and they're crazy. And I thought, this is blasphemy. He goes, and then I just kind of sent something. It felt good. <laughs> felt good in there. He was like, I like the message too. That was good. He's like, I'm not coming back. I got, I got my own church, but I like your church. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if that's a compliment or what, but... You know, we are, we're passionate. We say passion is our response. So some people may confuse that and say, oh, well, they're just charismatic. And, and that's fine if you want to call us charismatic. But I would say that I'm a charismatic contemplative. Like I like to respond in passion and I'm get fired up for Jesus and stuff. But I also like to really think about things. I like to read the scriptures and understand like why, why this? And why did he say that? And why did he do that? And for Easter Sunday, I, I want us just to ask that question, why? Why Sunday? Why not just Friday? I'm going to tell you why. Why Sunday? Why did he have to rise from the dead? Here's the first and Write this down if you're taking notes. To prove that he really is who he claimed to be. This is why he had to do this. Because Jesus made a lot of claims about himself when he was in his ministry for three and a half years. He said, I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. He said, I am the shepherd. He made all these claims, but there were some exclusive claims that he made that not a lot of people made. There were some people that said, even in his day, that they were the son of God. Do you know that, that, that Caesar actually said that he was the son of God? 
That was during his day. There were a lot of people that made the claims that they were the son of God, but no one made this claim. I am the son of God or the son of man, some translations say, which is a prophetic uh, utterance from the book of Daniel that the son of man would be the Messiah, the one sent by God. But he not only said, I'm the son of God, he said this, the son of God will die and three days later will come back to life, will be resurrected. No one else had ever made that claim. And if they, they did make that claim, they didn't have proof to back up that claim. But Jesus, he made those claims and then he rises from the dead to say, see, I told you so. Look at the scriptures here, Matthew chapter 28. He isn't here, he is risen from the dead just as he said, just as he said. He made that claim, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. Romans chapter one says it like this, the Holy Spirit proved by a powerful act that Jesus, our Lord, is the Son of God because he, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. This was proof. This was a powerful demonstration of the proof of the claim of Jesus that he was who he said he was and he would do what he said he would do. This puts an exclamation point on Friday. This says everything I told you, everything I claim to be, it's all true. And I'm going to prove it by rising from the dead. Acts chapter one says this, after his suffering Friday, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs, not just one, but many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. You got to understand this, that we see this in scripture and we also have other accounts that are not in the canon of scripture where Jesus met for 40 days with between 400 and 500 people for 40 days. He could have just like rose from the dead and like just rolled out, right? And had the ascension and gone to heaven. But instead he said, I'm gonna stay for 40 days with this group of people that have committed their life to me. Many of them are doubting right now. Many of them are discouraged. Many of them are going back to their old life. Many of them think that everything that they've given their life to for the last six months or the last three years, they think it was all a sham. But I'm gonna spend 40 days with them. I'm gonna eat with them. I'm gonna talk with them. I'm gonna laugh with them. I'm gonna cry with them. I'm gonna let them touch my scars so that they'll know that everything I said about me is true. And Jesus did that for 40 days with between 400 to 500 people. Now, some people say, well, how do we know it was true? Logical deduction right here. Just think about this. Rewind to the moments where Jesus has now been betrayed and his whole kingdom that he's ushering in seems as though it's falling apart and being deconstructed and dismantled. And all of his followers do what? They leave him. They leave him in fear as cowards. They leave him, leave him as deserters of the cause. They leave him because they think, we thought he was a leader and the deliverer and the redeemer, but I guess he wasn't. We need to leave or else the same thing's gonna happen to us. But after 40 days, when Jesus stayed with these people, something shifted, something changed. They begin to gather together and say, man, maybe it was true. Maybe it is true. Look, we have seen him. We've talked with him. We've laughed with him. And then they get filled with the Holy Spirit. And what do they do? They go all over the world who were once cowards now become courageous, bold as lion, followers of Jesus, spreading the good news of Jesus. Even the same people that, that betrayed him and the same people that deserted him, guess what they did? They actually lost their life. They gave up their life. Men that were, were cowards and afraid, now they're willing to die for the cause. What happened? Jesus proved to them that who he said he was, was true. He proved that he was the son of the living God and that he rose again. Amen. I was thinking about that. You know, we live in a day and age where we all have our phones now. And uh, 
we, you know, back in the day, we would, we would take pictures of things because we wanted to, you know, like your wedding and stuff. You take pictures because you wanted to go back and relive that moment and you want to share it with your kids. Now we, on our phones, we take pictures and take video of a lot of things, but it's not, no, not so much to like relive the moment. A lot of times it's just to capture something so that we can prove to other people that it actually happened. You know what I'm saying? Like I ran into Barry Bonds one day at, uh, at, at uh, Warriors game and I was like, no one's ever going to believe this. And so I went and I was like, take the big cheesy celebrity, you know, celebrity uh, picture with him. And, uh, and so you've done that probably before, right? You, you, you have some moment where like the other day I, I was trying to take out my phone because it was a squirrel in the road. He was just going around in circles. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. I was like, give me my phone. No one's going to believe me. No one's going to believe me. And we do that. We capture things on our phone to have proof so that we can tell people that it was true. What really happened, even though it sounds unbelievable. It was true, right? So I thought about that with, uh, with, with one of my good friends who's here today. His name is uh, Sir Matthew Laborde. He's right down here in the front over here. He's my golfing partner and uh, I'm better than him, way better than him. Um, we're not going to talk about that today. I have the mic, you don't. So anyway, um, you know, we, we, we actually, we had someone give us uh, two free passes to play golf at Pebble Beach. If you don't know anything about golf, Pebble Beach is, is a great course. It's probably one of the best courses unbelievable. And so we went to play a couple years ago. And, um, and while we're playing, I was talking smack the whole time. Like I'm running in my mouth the whole time. Like, dude, you're not any good. Look at you. You can't drive the ball. I'm better than you and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and so we get to hole seven. Now seven is like the most famous hole in golf. Okay. It's an unbelievable hole. You have to, you have to hit with your irons right off the tee and the, the Pacific's on your right. And it's like this little patch of grass you have to land on. Well, anyway, we land right there and we're all hyped because this is like the greatest hole. You can prove who's the best. And I looked at him and I said, I'm going to prove that I'm better than you. And here's how I'm going to prove that I'm better than you. There's a putt. I don't know how far was that putt. It was a long putt. It was very far. Matter of fact, we have video to prove right now. I told him, I said, I want you. I said, Matt, take out your phone right now because we're, we need to have proof. No one's going to believe this, but I'm a better golfer than you. Turn your attention to this screen for proof. <laughs> Oh, yes, 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 yeah. Okay, listen, listen. That was the power of God being demonstrated in my life because confession here, he's a way better golfer than I am, okay? I'm a terrible golfer. Um, I, 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 I'm not a good golfer. But listen, Jesus, turn the corner there. Jesus, listen, the reason why Jesus rose from the grave was to prove to people and to prove to you and I that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is who he said he was, that he was everything we had waited for and hoped for. He, were, he was all those things. By the way, not only, does it, not only does it show us proof of the claims that he's the son of God, it gives us proof that everything he's promised us in scripture is true. If he said you can be healed, listen, if you're here today, he's already proven that he has the power to resurrect the dead. He can heal your body. If your marriage is a wreck, listen, he's already proved through the resurrection that he has the power to heal your marriage, whatever it is we're, we are in need of. Listen, his resurrection is proof of the claims that he made. Uh, look what it says. Uh, I read this from a commentary the other day. It says, of the four major world religions based on, upon a founder as opposed to a system of ideas, of the four major world religions based upon a founder as opposed to a system of ideas, only Christianity claims that the tomb of its founder is empty. Judaism looks back to Abraham who died almost 4,000 years ago and still they, carry, they, they care for his grave as a holy site of Hebron. Thousands visit Buddha's tomb in India every year to pay respect. 
Islam's founder, Muhammad, died on June the 8th, 632, and his tomb is visited by millions of people each year. These tombs have bodies and bones still in them to this day. However, millions of Christians make their way to Jerusalem every year to see an empty tomb. Because as the Apostle Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 15, indeed, he is alive. He is alive. Listen, Jesus Jesus made a claim that is important that you and I understand this. This is a controversial claim. This may even be an offensive claim, but it's a claim that Jesus made. And here's what he said. He said, I am the way, John 14. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Either Jesus was lying, he was crazy, or he was telling the truth. And any time a dead person comes back to life, I'm just going to take him at his word. <laughs> he was lying, he was crazy, he was telling the truth. His resurrection is proof that he is the son of God, that he is the savior of the world, and that he desires to have a relationship with you and with me. Here's the second thing for you. Write this down. Why else? Why, why, what's the other reason? Why, like, why Sunday? Why the resurrection? Why did he have to come back to life? Why? It was to, to defeat death. Death is defeated. We've been singing about this all day. Death is defeated. Listen, the cross is important. The cross is so important, but the resurrection is vitally as important. If you don't believe me, go and read the message of the early saints, the early church fathers, the very first message ever preached, Acts chapter two. There's a portion about the cross that Peter preaches, but then the rest of that is all about the resurrection. The resurrection, death is defeated. Listen, it's two kinds of deaths. It's a physical death and a spiritual death. Let me show you. Jesus said this in Revelations chapter one. He says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I like that. Jesus amen himself. You know you're preaching good when you're just like preaching, you're like, amen, Jason, that was so good. You know, just preaching good. But he says this, he goes, I was dead, now I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore. And then he says this, I have the keys, I have the keys to Hades and to death, capital D. When you begin to study the etymology of these two words here, Hades, literally Hades means the grave, the ground, when you're buried in the ground. And death, capital D, is a spiritual death. So it's physical death and spiritual death. And listen, Jesus said, when I died and I rose again, I came bearing the keys. In the scriptures, keys always represent authority. So what Jesus is saying is I hold the keys, the authority. I have the power over physical death and spiritual death. Listen, the devil is so defeated, he does not even have keys to his own house because of the resurrection of Jesus. One biblical scholar said this, if Jesus is dead, then Christianity is dead. If Jesus is alive, then Christianity is alive. Paul declared himself, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus, there is no savior, no salvation, no forgiveness of sin and no hope of resurrected eternal life. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus is reduced to yet another good but dead man and therefore is of no considerable help to us in this life or at its end. Plainly stated, without the resurrection of Jesus, the few billion Christians that today will worship this Jesus on Easter, listen to this, these few billion, listen, they're all just gullible. Their hope for a resurrection life after this life is the hope of silly fools who trust in a dead man to give them life. But if he is risen, this is one of the greatest messages we have today because it gives us hope. This gives us hope. 
Listen, Jesus, when he said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, that exclusive claim, it wasn't because he doesn't love us. It wasn't because he doesn't have compassion. It wasn't because he doesn't care for humanity. Listen, he made that exclusive claim because of that. He's saying, guys, I want you to know the way. I'm the way. I want you to know the truth. I'm the truth. I want you to know the life. I'm the life. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from the religious work and the activities. Rest from trying to be perfect. Rest from performance. Rest from trying to earn the love of God. Listen, I did the work so that you could rest. You rest. Come to me, Jesus says. Listen to me. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He didn't. That's religion. Jesus did not come here so that you could have behavior modification. He didn't. That's religion. You need, you need to dress a certain way to come to this church. Listen, make no mistake about it. This is just Easter. That's the only reason I'm wearing this. You don't have to dress a certain way for God to love you. You don't have to act a certain way for him to accept you. You don't have to believe a certain thing. Listen, all you need is Jesus. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus. You need to believe that he laid his life down as a son of God on the cross and that he rose again. You put your belief and your trust in that. The Bible says he is faithful and just to, and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. The Bible says this, that he, Jesus, who knew no sin, he became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. It doesn't say we become righteous and right standing with God because we act a certain way, dress a certain way, talk a certain way, look a certain way. It's only because of Jesus, because he is the son of God. It's Jesus. It's all Jesus. But he didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. My question for you is this, Christian or non-Christian, are you alive? Everybody dies, but not everybody lives. Are you alive? I'm not asking you, do you, do you attend a church? I'm not asking you, have you ever been christened or baptized? I'm not asking you if you've ever prayed some kind of prayer. I'm asking you, have you been made alive in Jesus? This, I think one of the saddest things is not just a person that never comes to faith in Christ and lives their life dead on the inside spiritually. I think one of the saddest things is that a, a person becomes a Christian, they receive the life of Christ, and now they know him, but they don't know the power of the resurrection. They know Jesus, but they don't know the power that Jesus wants to give them for their life. So they pray a prayer, they get baptized, and they, they can kind of say, I've got my fire insurance, right? I'm not going to hell or whatever. But they never live a victorious life because they never know the power of God. They never know the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. The resurrection tells us, listen, I don't want to just give you eternal life. I want to give you abundant life. Abundant life, that life, that Zoe life, that life overflowing with joy and peace and compassion and, joy and mercy, all, that, a life demonstrating the fruit of God, a life where even when you walk through hell, you can have heaven in your heart. Even whenever, whenever you get a bad diagnosis, man, you can have a smile on your face. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it means that God will give you grace to walk through it. It means that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he is with me. That's what I'm talking about. It's life where it's filled with power. That's the life that God wants to give us. And the resurrection makes it available to us today. He didn't come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. Here's my favorite Easter verse. I'll give you these last two verses and we'll wrap up. Romans 8 says this, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives where he lives in you. See, the disciples had it pretty good because they had Jesus with them, but we have Jesus in us through his Holy Spirit. 
He says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as or in the same way God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies. What does he mean by that? In other words, he wants to give life to the dead places in your physical body. The spaces and places physically and even figuratively. Maybe your marriage is, feels like it's just dead, it's dying. Maybe your spirituality feels dry, like you're in a desert. Maybe your finances feel just like they're a mess. Listen, every area of your life, I believe that God wants to breathe life through the Holy Spirit and bring a resurrection to those areas. Maybe your dreams are dead. Maybe you literally, you've, you've walked through so much in your life, you've given up on your dreams. You're like, I, I, I screwed up, I messed up. And it feels dead, it feels like it's, it's deserted, it feels dry, it feels like the, it's not flourishing at all. Listen, I'm here to tell you, you can believe again. I'm here to tell you that because Jesus rose from the dead, if God had enough, if the Holy Spirit had enough power to raise a dead body back to life, don't you think he can take care of your dreams? Don't you think he can take care of your spouse, your companion? Don't you think he can take care of your children? Listen, Jesus is alive and he has power to give us today. He has power to save your marriage. He has power to restore the broken family. He has power to give you peace to replace your anxiety that's constantly hovering like a cloud. He has power to restore your joy and set you free from depression. He has power to break the cycle of addiction. Listen, he has power to give you to walk with you through your singleness and you can still be whole and feel complete. You don't have to feel incomplete and inadequate. He has power to give you grace in the middle of your grieving season because of what you have lost. Listen to me. He has power to remove every bit of regret and guilt and shame of anything you've ever done or anything you've ever thought or anything that's ever been done to you. Listen, this is the power of God demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus. It's available. It is available to you. This is not hype. This is not hype. Listen, this is actually help and it's very practical. Look at what, um, look at what Paul said in Ephesians. He says, I pray this. This is my prayer. I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help. God wants to help you. Some of you came in here today and you, if you're honest, you need some help in your life right now. We can put on our Easter best and on the inside, we can, be, we, can, we can be so broken and so just dying on the inside sometimes. God wants to help you. I'm here today to tell you that God wants to help you close the gap between the life you're currently living and the life you really desperately wanna live. And he does that through the power of the spirit. He says, listen, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help who? Those who clean up their act, get themselves together, get all buttoned up. No, he says, those that just simply believe. I just need you to believe, he says. I need you to trust me with your life, not a portion of your life, not a piece of your life, all of your life. Jesus says, I gave you all of me. Could you just give me all of you? Will you believe me? Will you trust me? And he says, it is the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. My two questions for you today for your consideration is number one is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Friday? Do you know the cross experience? Have you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross as a son of God, the savior of the world, to forgive you of your sins, to give you a fresh start and a new beginning? Have you ever done that before? What have you done with Jesus? At the end of your life, you'll stand before God and he will not ask you how much money you made, how many friends you had on Facebook. He won't ask you what kind of car you drove. He'll ask you, what did you do with Jesus? Do you know Jesus? The second question is, do you know the power of his resurrection? Paul said this, he said in Philippians, my goal is to know him, the fellowship of his sufferings, Friday, the cross, and the power of his resurrection. Do you know the power 
the power that God has available to you to help you close the gap between where you are, better yet, who you are and who you know he's called you to be because that power is available to you. Amen. I'll just wrap up with this one little thought here. I, um, I was thinking back to when I was 18 years old in 2000. My life was a mess. I grew up in a Christian home. It was a little bit of a religious home. We, we were part of some different denominations that were kind of a lot of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. And it was always about what you can't do, what you don't do. We were, we were kind of about what we were against, not necessarily what we were for. That's religion. And then my dad, he, 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 uh, he, had, he had an affair. He had seven different mistresses over the years. Became physically abusive, verbally abusive, emotionally abusive. The things that, that myself and my sister and my brother have seen from my dad, it, it, was, it ripped our heart out. And here's the other thing it did. It made us really say, you know what? Every claim that Jesus made or God made this whole thing about Christianity and church, it's all a sham. It's all worthless because if God would allow someone to do this and act like this, there's no way it's, it's true. There's no way God is real. Here's why we believe that. It's not only was it our dad, it was also our pastor. He was a pastor. And we begin to really doubt God and doubt the reality of who he is and everything. And I walked away from God. My sister walked away from God. My brother walked away from God. And for about four to five years, I just tried to medicate my brokenness in my life. I thought, you know what? I'm gonna go and do my own thing, self-discovery. And here's what I discovered, that I was broken. And at 18 years old, I walked into my mom's apartment, into my bedroom. And when I opened the door, I looked and there was a, a mattress, not even on a bed, but just mattress on the floor with no sheets or covers on it and a pile of about a foot high of dirty clothes everywhere and no furniture in the room. And as I looked at that, it was as if God put a spiritual like mirror in front of me to show me where I was at on my journey. And here's what I realized. I, I, my soul on the inside, my life was a reflection of what that room looked like. Empty, dirty, a mess, and broken. And, and I remember every time I'd walk in that room, I thought, what's, it, what's the use of even trying to clean this up? This is an overwhelming mess. And that's exactly how I felt about my life. My life is such a mess, it's overwhelming. How am I ever gonna fix this? And God said, precisely, that's precisely the point. You can't fix it. You are broken, you are empty, your life is a mess just believe. I bowed my knees at that bed. There was no preacher. There was no pastor. There was no phenomenal worship team. There was no cool, all this stuff. It was just me face to face with my emptiness, my brokenness, and the grace of God. I took out a legal pad and I began to write, wrote down this scripture, 1 Peter, I think it's chapter 2, verse 8, says, for I ransom you from an empty life. I paid for you not with silver and gold, but with the precious and priceless blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And I began to write down, today Jason Laird dies. It's like a suicide letter almost. Today Jason Laird dies, but today I'm resurrected with a new life. My old life is gone and a new life has begun. Jesus, I give you my life today. I wish I could tell you that everything got perfect right after that. It didn't. As a matter of fact, it felt like it got worse. But I now had Jesus walking beside me and the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me, enabling, enabling me to do and to become everything that God had always purposed for me to do and to become. It was because of the resurrection power of Jesus in my life that day. You know, I thought about this. I'm going to put this picture on the screen to illustrate that a bit further. I was reading about Death Valley, the desert Death Valley in California here. And, and if you look at it, it's, it's, it's dry. It's just a, it's like one of the hottest places in North America. 
And they call it Death Valley because it's, everything's dead. There's like nothing alive there. It's, it's completely just a deserted place, right? But there's a phenomenon that I read about called a super bloom. And there was one that happened in 2005 that was like one of the most unprecedented ones. It's, it's actually, it's unbelievable. And there's one going on right now. But in 2005, it began to just rain like crazy on the West Coast and literally overnight, something called a super bloom happened. And they're gonna put a picture up here where overnight, all these wildflowers begin to burst up from the ground. And it's unbelievable because this was a place that appeared to be dead, but it was actually only dormant. And it needed something from above to rain down on its death, just despair, deserted place, because there was something in the ground that just needed to have something from above to resurrect it. I'm here to tell you today that where the areas of your life you think are dead, listen, they're just dormant. Your marriage, it's just dormant. Jesus said about Lazarus in John 11, when everybody said, don't even worry about him anymore. It's, it, it's all over, uh, Mary and Martha. Don't worry about it, Jesus, anymore. He's dead. Jesus says, oh, no, he's not. He's just sleeping. Here's what he said. Lazarus isn't dead. He's just dormant. He needs to know that I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes on me, though he die, he will never perish. He will live forever. And then he asked this question, Mary, Martha, do you believe this? And that's my question for you today. Do you believe that the, the areas of your life that you think are dead are just dormant. And if you can just be connected to the life source of Jesus, that there is hope for you. You can believe for the first time or you can believe again. And I believe God wants to do something powerful in your life. Amen. Come on, why don't we clap our hands for the Lord. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.